Hope you're being blessed this morning, and, and we're so glad you're hanging out with us today. We're finishing up a sermon series called The Gospel Means Go. Part of what we do here, I think all of what we do here, is gather to worship God. And uh, today we're going to talk about um, this, another, our final, but just because I've picked four, um, call to respond to the gospel. And um, it's one of the most poignant because it really proves the point that anyone can be part of what God is doing. And I think we short sell ourselves a lot thinking, well, not me, that's for other people. Um, I think that's a lie. And so today we're going to hear from Scripture um, about the reality uh, of God's call in all of our lives. So um, I wanted to start, um, as I get into the Scriptures this morning with you, I want to start with um, the Gospel of Matthew. (laughs) And I'm just going to read a few verses. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. Um, I told you last week, I always want to make sure that we understand that all these things are rooted um, in the New Testament teaching of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get in these debates with people about how important Jesus is. It's not about debating, but everything that the Bible says is pointing toward this reality of one thing, which is the coming Messiah who will restore Israel, you know, who will make the unrighteous righteous, who will um, overthrow the enemy. We sang today about the resurrection of Jesus, the the manifestation of his glory uh, for his people. And so today, uh, I wanted you to hear from uh, Matthew 13, and this is Jesus' teaching And I'm going to read a few verses here. Let me see where I'm at. Um, I'm going to start in verse 10. Jesus uh, taught a lot in parables. He would tell stories. You know, he wouldn't just say, here are the facts. He would tell stories. And this is what the disciples asked him. It says, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, but he, and he will have an abundance, but who does not have, even that which he has will be taken from him. And this is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, they do not see, and though hearing, they do not understand. So I, uh, real quick, Jesus is talking to the disciples, those who are learning from Jesus, and that's what it takes to be a follower of Jesus, is to set his feet and learn from him. That's what we attempt to do ourselves in our lives, and it's very real. It's not pretty process all the time, but you set and you listen to Jesus. Jesus, where are you calling me to go? What are you calling me to do? He says, but the kingdom has been given to you, to the disciples. The kingdom's been given to you, but not to those who don't understand. And then I'm going to pick up in verse 16. Listen, Jesus says this. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and blessed were your ears because they hear. Because I will tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and longed to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. That's just a very beautiful way of saying that God has revealed himself to you in your life. And that is a, a huge blessing to you. And not everyone gets it. Not everyone hears it or sees it. But Jesus said, but you're blessed. Blessed means happy. But blessed means blessed. Because you've seen and you've heard and you know Jesus. When he's talking, the prophets and the wise men longed for this day. And yet you get to experience it right now. I don't know if you still believe that that's true, that this is the time of revelation, that this is the time that God is showing the, the nations his Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's pointing the way, offering salvation still right now today to us because the close of that season has not come yet whenever his, he comes in judgment. So Jesus says, we're blessed, we're blessed, we're blessed. 
Well, today I'm going to read um, from the book of Isaiah, and that's where you can turn if you want. We're going to work from this text today. It's Isaiah 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. I'll give you something to get there. It's on page 477 if you use one of our Bibles. Um, anytime. By the way, if you ever want your own Bible, if you don't have one, you can steal one of ours, which isn't really stealing because I said you could have it. <laughs> um, but if you want your own that like, doesn't look like one of ours, talk to me or one of the leadership team or someone at the church, and we'll hook you up with a Bible, um, whatever kind you want, whatever flavor you want. The, to engage in the Word of God is a powerful, powerful thing, and there should be no reason that you wouldn't have the one you want in your hand to study on a regular basis, okay? So if you want a Bible, talk to one of us after worship. We'll hook, get, get you a Bible super easy to do. Um, here's what Isaiah 6, yeah. Here's what the word says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. Two wings that covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from you, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. And I ask you to pray with me that God would reveal himself today through his word. Father God, uh, we come here um, to encounter you in a mighty way. You are beautiful and glorious and majestic all over the earth. I mean, all the nations are turning to you. Everyone is looking to you today, Father God. And we come willing hearts, inspired by your Holy Spirit, to turn our ears, our hearts, our minds to you, and that we might see and hear and know you in all your glory, that we might be changed because we've encountered you today. Father, we don't want to come here with our own cultural mindsets or our own sin-filled, broken attempts at righteousness. But we want to know you, your mercy, your grace, your love, your justice, your righteousness, and your holiness. And today, that's something that only you can reveal. And so today, as we enter into the word of your prophet Isaiah, would you inspire us to understand this teaching? Would you uh, inspire me to, to speak rightly of your word, to glorify you rightly today? And would you infect the ears of every person here that we would be right in understanding what you're saying. Um, may you be glorified as we seek you. We love you so much. And you are so gracious to us beyond anything we could ever have hoped or dreamed for in this life. That we would be found by you and loved by you and saved by you. Do this work today, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is, I, this is the fourth, like I said, uh, call. We looked at kind of four distinct calls in the Bible. But man, this is one of those that, I don't know if you think of that as being a call from God, but um, Isaiah has this kind of earth-shaking experience with God. Um, and, and I don't know if you understand all, I'm talking a little about the history of Isaiah. It, it's not, not a lot that's really known per se. He was a prophet in, in Israel, right, um, during the reign of four of the kings of Judah. 
and he was recognized as a prophet. And again, I will say to you, and by the way, right now there's still some conversations about who is a prophet in the church and stuff like that, right? Some churches claim to have prophets in them and some churches claim to only have prophets and all that. One thing, a mark of a prophet is they have to be right. <laughs> that's kind of obvious, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not trying to be Henri, but sometimes people are like, I'm a prophet, and they say something that's completely not right. And it's like, you have to be right if you're going to say you're a prophet. Isaiah was right. Isaiah was a prophet who saw things that he could have never imagined on his own. He could have never gotten right on his own. The background um, of Isaiah is that he, he reigned. He probably prophesied for over 60 years. So it's not like a flash in the pan, like he was here today and gone tomorrow. I mean, 60 years he went around and, and spoke the word of God to people spoke the word of God, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to people. By the way, you might say, well, how you, what do you mean all these things, if you study this scripture, that's why I encourage you to read it for yourself. If you understand what scripture says, it, all of it is caught up in, all of the reality of who Jesus is is caught up in the whole Bible, right? Um, in the New Testament, speaking specifically of Isaiah, it says the Holy Spirit was speaking to Isaiah when he said, and then you will see that today it said uh, the voice of God um, spoke to Isaiah uh, when he saw him. It's kind of funny because the call of Isaiah comes six chapters into the book of Isaiah. So there's prophecy before Isaiah talks about his experience of God. I don't pretend to understand what that means exactly in the book, you know, but there's this, there's this kind of the manifestation, the things that God, it's almost like the things that God said through Isaiah is more important than how Isaiah even came to know him himself. But in the sixth chapter, we get a glimpse into a moment in a, man, in a man's life right? Hear me. One of the other things I've talked about in this whole series is that sometimes we put, um, you know, godliness or um, redemption on a high shelf. We put it in the saint category, and we say, well, we're sinners, and they're saints. But man, all saints were sinners. All saints were sinners, right? And it's not like they achieved it, their own righteousness, but they were chosen by God and given revelation, truth, and inspiration. They're people just like us. And so, we hear about uh, Isaiah's call. I want to I walk through a little bit now the call um, of Isaiah. Uh, one other thing I want to say about Isaiah, too, is I, I always talk about this. If you ever look in the Bible, it talks about whose son you are. That always means something, you know, and his father's name was strong or stout, you know. I, I don't know. I can't, again, get it too much of that, but I just have a feeling he came from a very solid place, Isaiah did. We talked about how God calls the unexpected, but here you have a dude that's just a solid dude, and God's called him to be a prophet in Israel and uh, and. and, and the lesson we learn from Isaiah comes at the very end, how, how willing he is to go. That's what we could learn, I think, from Isaiah. But this is what he says. Um, I saw, in the sixth year, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. I mean, so the first reality that we see in Isaiah's call is that God revealed himself to Isaiah in a huge way. Like in a really big way, he just got this vision for who God is. You might say, well, well, of course he saw who, listen, is it, how many people are raised in the church and never see the, the majesty of God, never understand the glory of God, his, his utter size and beauty and wonder? Isaiah was one of those, because why would he write it down if he saw it the whole time? Why would he write it down? He says, no, there was this moment where I recognized, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne. 
Not just seated on, like you have this vision, this view of God that's so high and holy. But not only that, the train of his robe kind of cascades off of this throne and fills the entire room, the entire temple is full of the glory of God. And, and I, I'm telling you, man, sometimes I don't think we understand that about God. I don't think I understand that about God. That, it, that he is so beautiful and majestic. We, we gather here and we try. We're like, well, we're going to try to do the right things. We're going to try to pray. Or we're going to try to serve. We're going to try to, you know, we're going to come into the middle school. We're going to put in some gear. We're going we're to use all of our gifts to play music and to sing. I'm going to try to preach really well. I'm going to do these things. But we have completely missed the boat on the magnitude of who God is, his worthiness, his value, his, his beauty. It's all about him. I love the song selections today. It's all about you, God. It's all about Jesus. Isaiah knows this. He, he sees because God reveals himself um, to Isaiah. He sees that God is huge, <laughs> huge. Um, we're going to go on, but I want to jump for a minute because what do the seraphs say about God? The whole earth is full of his glory. So I just want to say for a minute, like in the hugeness of things, Isaiah says, I showed up and I saw God in the temple and the whole temple was full of God. And they go, oh, that's cool because the temple, they were controlling the light and the smoke effects and all that. You know what I mean? No, Isaiah says there were, there were these seraphs, they were singing around his throne and they're saying the entire earth is filled with the glory of God. That means when you leave here today, the glory of God is before you and behind you, above you and below you, around you, in your car, at home, in your lunchbox. You know what I mean? God is everywhere. His glory is shining forth everywhere. Now, and again, I will say to you, Isaiah didn't always get that. This is news to Isaiah. Look at how big God is. Look at how far-reaching his work is. He fills the whole earth with his glory. Man, that is crazy big. And, and, and Isaiah gets this vision for the hugeness of God. Hugeness of God. Now, the next thing I want you to check out with me is this. These seraphs that are hanging out around the altar, the throne. Okay, and it says they have six wings. And I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But, you know, two of them, they cover their feet, and two of them, they cover their face. And then two of them, they were flying because they had four extra wings <laughs> for some reason they didn't need to fly with. Um, and I don't know what that means, but uh, they were calling out to one another. Now, listen to the song they were singing, this, these words. That, I don't know if it was a song or if it was a cry, if it was a shout. But it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, Yahweh Almighty. That's all-powerful. The whole earth is full of his glory, right? Now, check out verse 4 with me. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the whole temple was filled with smoke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's, I, I've always read that, and this is so maybe funny, but when I came back to it this time to read about Isaiah's call, I realized that it wasn't that there was like that God was present and his presence was shaking the thresholds of the door of the temple and smoke was rising out, you know. It, it was because of this cacophony, that's a fun word, cacophony, <laughs> of praise. Don't miss that. That there was so much adoration being poured out upon God and his majesty and his magnitude by the seraphs. There was so much glory being revealed through his creatures toward him that the noise of their praise shook the posts of the temple. Right? Let me try to... <laughs> you go, okay, I mean, 
This is what I think about. Have you ever gone, uh, have you ever gone to a rock concert? Have you ever, who's ever gone to a really, I don't mean like a kind of cool rock, I don't mean karaoke at the bar either. <laughs> I mean a real, like a, someone that travels with multiple tractor trailers full of equipment, you know what I mean? And you're gathered in the stadium with like 40,000 or 60,000 or 50,000 people, you know, people, and you're in this mass of humanity and you're sweaty and you're crabby and the lights, house lights are on, and all of a sudden the lights go off, you know what I mean? And people start just to go, woo something's going to happen. You know what I mean? Who's been to that concert? Anybody? I mean, I'm a child of the 80s. I'm going to admit that without shame and big hair bands. But man, there was fireworks and explosions and they would turn on these, these lights off the stage and it would just be, it would just, this eminence would come off the stage and you would, and people would just freak out. Anybody been there? Freak out, man. Some of y'all need to go to a concert, I think. <laughs> Just to get some idea of the spectacle that man can make, that man can make a spectacle like that, right? And you can get caught up in that. And then guess what they do, usually? They set off smoke machines, you know, they smoke. I remember one time I went to a local concert, and the whole room was so full of smoke, you couldn't even see people next to you, you know. They got a new smoke machine. They were trying it out. Uh, man, let me talk about this for a minute. There are some religious rituals where whenever certain people come to, to, to show their, um, their um, holiness or their, that you should be listening, they do the same thing. They play trumpets and there's smoke that comes out and there's this huge scene because they're trying to get people to pay attention that something different's happening. Here's the difference between that, though, I think, and what happens here is that all those things are imitations. All those things are manifestations that are often for our own benefit, that we want to feel good, that we want to be like, free bird, you know what I mean? Rock on, woo, you know, mullets are back. I don't know what you guys say at concerts. Uh, but this is for God's glory. God's glory. That all these things, man, all this noise, all this fervor ought to be pointed at the creator of the universe and his throne, his mighty, his majesty, his glory, till the, the, the temple shakes. I, I think so many of us, man, we're going to, you know what, I, this is true. I think that some of, so many of us think that we're going to get to heaven and it's going to be like a yawn fest, you know, like, <gasps> oh, I finally made it. Time to sleep around with Jesus. You know what I mean? Get the nappy poo up here. I think it's going to be like, you know what I mean? I think that the stuff that we experience here on Sunday mornings in worship, where our, did you hear it today? Did you feel it? These songs we sing and we go, man, that's good. It's going to be like that times a million. It's going to be like, woo, you know, like I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine the worship whenever things are the way that God says they should be. I can't even imagine the glory that's going to pour forth from the people of God about his salvation and his righteousness, his holiness, his beauty, his wonder, his splendor. I'm convinced it's going to rock the foundations of the earth, though. Man, Isaiah sees this, you know, like he sees it himself. He gets the view of God in this throne and these angels that are singing. He's like, wow, this is crazy. Crazy. But for God's glory, all for God's glory. I don't think that we believe that. Listen, that right now, now, all around God's throne is a spectacle of praise. Do you hear what I'm saying? Right now, 
Like when, you, when I, you and I are feeling crappy about our lives and we're overwhelmed, we're depressed, and we think nothing's going right anymore, that all the time, 24-7, his creatures are just hovering and seeing glory to his greatness because he's beautiful all the time. We don't see that, though. We don't recognize that, though. God is in his throne. They're shouting his beauty. They're glorifying God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. By the way, it's funny. Depending on the translation, it might say the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, I want to mention real quickly, is interesting because the idea is that he commands the people. You know, when you get depressed about the brokenness of the world, he commands the people. Matter of fact, Lord of hosts can even mean the commander of the enemies. He doesn't just have his army that he commands into the field. He is Lord over everyone and everything. He's the right authority in the world. And so even as we see the brokenness and the failure and the sin in this world, we can trust that God is the Lord of hosts. He's the God of all creation. Holy, holy, holy. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. The Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Man, that, that's awesome to realize that. Now, that, that's enough, right? Just that. You go, man, Isaiah saw that. But I want you to see what happens immediately in Isaiah's life. When he sees and recognizes and hears and, and, and knows the beauty and majesty of God, he cries out, woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, Lord Almighty. He's like, man, I am ruined. I am doomed. And maybe many of you come here today and you think that about yourselves. You think, man, if the God is so perfect and beautiful and holy, all that does is shine light on my sin and my failure and my brokenness. I'm ruined. I'm ruined. Many of you will encounter the reality of God in that way, and you will want to stop right there. You will say, I can't go any further with this Jesus guy because he's too good. He's too pure. He's too holy. He's too righteous. I can't hang out with these church people because I don't look like them or smell like them or act like them. I don't think like them. I'm so broken. Man, you're in good company if that's where you are. Because that's where God works with people. He knows how beautiful he is. He knows how glorious he is. And he knows how broken we are in his presence. And Isaiah himself realizes this. It was funny when I was reading this story of Isaiah, I was reminded of Peter in the boat with Jesus. Peter, just an ordinary fisherman, and when Jesus causes him to catch all these fish, fish, Peter just falls apart. Away from me. I'm a sin-filled man. Thinking there's no mercy in this beautiful God. There's no way. Listen to me today. There's no way a sinner like me can be part of God's kingdom. And if the story ended there, boy, that'd be a real downer. But this is what happens. One of those seraphs who is flying around the altar proclaiming the glory of God and all the earth, it says, one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. The altar. Now, there's a lot of symbolism in this, right? This place where the offerings are made to God. I mean, the smoke rising up. This place of sacrifice and of purity. Like the hottest furnace you could imagine just burning. I don't even know. But he took a coal from that, from this 
holy place next to God. And it says, he flew over and he touched my mouth. And he said, now look, this has touched your lips. And listen, man, this is the good news of Jesus Christ right here. It has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is paid for. That's what it means, atoned for. All your brokenness, Isaiah, all your hurt, all your confusion, all your pain, all your lostness, it's paid for. It's paid for. He brings this coal, this sacrifice before God and touches Isaiah's lips. Man, I mean, if you don't see the gospel there, Jesus is the great sacrifice. And here it comes. And then look again. Isaiah don't walk to the altar. He don't respond to the altar call. He doesn't get up from this puddle position. God comes to him right there. Maybe that's you today. I'm telling you, God, God loves you, and he is making a way for you that's beyond what you can imagine. Here he comes into Isaiah's uncleanness and purifies him. I would even say it's almost like he got a brand, you know. I would even say that's probably a terrifying and painful thing to have something come that close to you that's so hot and so perfect. But it's going to purify you and make you right. See this sin, or this, see this uh, has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is paid for. Now look at verse 8 with me. First three words, then I heard. Then I heard. <laughs> There's something to that, right? That Isaiah is in the temple, and all he hears is the noise of the people. He hears the seraphs. He sees the stuff. He doesn't, but he doesn't hear God. And then in his brokenness, God comes to him and says, you've been forgiven. You've been made whole. Your sins are forgiven. And all of a sudden, Isaiah has ears to hear. He hears the Lord for the first time. He understands the author of the music. He understands why everyone is singing. He understands why God is so grand and glorious. He understands why you would want to spend an eternity around the throne worshiping him because of the great forgiveness, the great mercy, the great love, the great compassion of our Lord. And he hears. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, man, that's beautiful. That's kind of what I see as the process where God reveals himself. Now, I'm not saying that there's the only way, but that's the only way it happens. I, I, I know as many ways that people have come to faith as I know Christians. You know what I mean? Everyone's got a story, and so I'm not saying that, but there's this, there's this recognition of God's holiness and our brokenness and our, our need. And, and even if we don't see our need, God comes to us. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says some things about God revealing himself to people who aren't even looking for him, that he answers questions that people weren't even asking of him. I mean, this is a God who's proactive, who's moving in the world. He isn't, he isn't complacent or waiting. His glory is always with us. Isaiah got to prophesy about those things, but here he himself experiences this grace of God. 
Last thing here, verse 8. He hears the Lord saying, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. <laughs> I think that's so beautiful, this response, you know? Um, I would call this like a willing servant. Man, the world's such a broken place. Who's going to go? I'll go. But I'm not saying you'll go on your own power. That's not what Isaiah said. He's not like he had no part of what God was doing until he saw the glory. I will say this. I believe 60 years of prophecy were, were compelled by Isaiah's right understanding of the magnitude, the size, and the glory of God. It drove him in his life. It motivated him. It inspired him. He never forgot who God is. And he, he was always remembering. I mean, he, this is a, the story of his formation in Christ. He jumps at a chance to serve him. Yes, yes, let me go. I want to go. I've seen it. I get it. I want to do it. Man, we could learn something from Isaiah in that way. So here's some impact things from Isaiah. He gets to prophesy clearly, specifically, repeatedly about the coming Messiah. If you don't know almost, I mean, I won't say everything, but so much in the New Testament, the Gospels literally say, as Isaiah prophesied, Jesus fulfilled it. As Isaiah prophesied, Jesus fulfilled it. Over and over again in the New Testament, in Mark and Matthew and Luke, is said, and in John as well. Just like the prophet Isaiah said, Jesus fulfilled these things. As a matter of fact, get this. Um, Jesus himself unrolled the scroll of Isaiah when he said who he is in the temple. He unrolled Isaiah's scroll and read from it and then said, today it's fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus himself used the words of Isaiah to verify uh, his ministry, his call, his, his, um, who he is. There's not words for that, by the way, but... Um, and, and then uh, the, the people are told the truth um, in, in Israel. Now, I want to say that too, because uh, Isaiah has to say hard things like any prophet to Israel and things that aren't, they don't want to hear. Um, but he's right, and he's proven right by what comes and the way God manifests himself um, for their redemption eventually. Um, but he, he tells the truth about what's happening around them, but also about what's to come, about the coming glory, the coming reality of Jesus and of God and his salvation as people. Um, and then the last thing I want to say about the impact is that Isaiah and his whole family becomes part of God's story. And that's interesting to me. Uh, a couple things from the history side, historical side of this is that um, Isaiah's wife was known as a prophetess. And that would have been a title of honor she got because of her husband. I'm not saying that women didn't prophesy. They certainly did. But, but in, the, in this case, it was simply her marriage to this man who was obedient to God that changed her life. And the same for his sons. They were changed because of their father's call. And so uh, he not only uh, changes um, Israel by telling the truth of God, not only does he get the experience himself, but his family is changed in his obedience. All right. So some connections for us then. Um, I wonder, have you, ever, have you ever stopped to think about the scale, the size, and the beauty of God? And I know we're all busy. We're like, we're all busy, man. But, you know, if you don't take time to sit and just wonder at God's scope and size. And I'll give you a couple ways you can do it. One way is you can try to take in the vastness of what's happening, right? I mean, walk out on a clear night and look up at the stars and just imagine all this happening. Watch one of those nerds on TV talk about the solar system or putting things on Mars, you know, these people who are way smarter than us. The scope of it is ridiculous. 
But maybe you're not like that. You're like, well, that's, I can't, that's not my thing. You know, I love that the Bible says, consider the ant. Pick something really small and just look at it. Are you not in awe of what's happening? Are you not amazed with what God has made, who he is and what he's done? It's all too much for us to take in. And yet we're surrounded by it every day. We're living in it, as a matter of fact. Do you have a sense of that? Um, have you had an earth-shaking experience with God? And I, and I don't mean to make that normative, but I mean, have you, have, do you even, does your soul in you light up when you think about the glory of God? I would, I don't know. I don't know how you know God and you're not passionate about the things of God. Here's another one. Do you stand in awe and wonder at the very sight of God? I mean, do you ever catch yourself in a room where you didn't expect to see God show up and God shows up and you're like, wow, didn't see it coming. Didn't see that coming. I didn't think God was available whenever I was at work. You know what I mean? Uh, There's something that when he moves that is awe-inspiring in us. Um, Have you had your sins purged through the power and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I mean that. have Have you wrestled honestly with God? Have you laid yourself bare and said, this is me, I'm a broken sinner, I'm screwed up, I don't get it, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what's happening, God, but I'm yours. I love that song we sang today, I am yours. You made me, show me, lead me. Have you had that kind of conversation with the God who made you? The power of the gospel in your life, man. And then, and then the last is this, um, what's your life motivation? No matter what you do for a living, no matter where you go from here, are the things, is what you do, and actually the youth last week did a great job of leading a study on this idea of, are, are the things that drive you in, in your life rooted in the reality of who God is? Does he get glory from your fill in the blank, right? And that's not always, but I mean, is he part of that conversation? Are you, do you see it in your life? Do you connect what you do every day with the reality of God and who he is? And are you willing to go if God says, I want to send somebody, wherever that is? Will you say, yeah, I get it. I know you. Send me. I'm not qualified. I'll go, (laughs) you know? Uh, I love that um, Scripture is filled with all kinds of calls and responses to God, but I love that um, he sends the willing. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's like, okay, you want to go? Great, go. Go. I think he takes joy in it. Just go, do it. I don't know if you have that experience in your life. I have it sometimes where I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do it, God. I'm going to do it. I'm serious. And God's like, yeah, 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 get to it, do it. You know, brother's going to be share love with somebody. You're going to have a hard conversation. You're going you're to quit your job. You're going you're gonna, to uh, stay at your job. You're going to talk to your boss. You know what I mean? You're going to have an honest conversation with your wife, uh, whatever it is. And you're like, I'm going to do it. And he's like, yeah, I know. Get to it. Man, what an opportunity we have to respond. He's so good to us. I'm going to pray. If you want to pray with me, um, I want to pray a couple of things. I want to pray that if you don't know, man, if you feel that sinfulness and brokenness, I want you to know that you're in a place where God is reaching out to you. And, and don't, don't flee from there. Don't run back to your sin, away from the righteousness of God, but, but continue to move toward God in that and uh, trust him to come into your life. I'm going to ask that prayer for you today, if that's you. Um, and then, and then the, we would see rightly the glory of God wherever we are because he reveals himself to sinners all the time. And we're all sinners, man. And so uh, that we would understand that it would drive who we are. So pray with me if you would. 
Father God, I just thank you so much for today, and I thank you for the chance that you've given us to hear um, one way you revealed yourself in your scriptures to your people. Uh, Father God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit and his inspiration of Isaiah, um, the words and instruction you gave him uh, from your own mouth of who, he, of who you are and, and uh, his brokenness in you. And today, I know there are people here who just are sensing that brokenness, and they go, there's no way past this. I mean, Father, I remember so clearly that hopeless state, that hopeless state where I was like, I can't move with you. I can't go, I can't go where you are. I can't get there from here. Father God, only your mercy and your grace reaching out to your people will, will bridge that gap. And so today, Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would move in those hearts and minds and, and communicate your great love and mercy, your great plans, uh, your great righteousness and your holiness for all of us. And, and then, Father, I do ask that we would have some understanding of your size and your scale and your scope and your glory. And not just here on Sunday morning when it was easy because we're like, hey, this is a safe place, but out in life, Father, would you break through in our regular lives to reveal yourself in all that you're doing? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Jesus said that was the blessing of the disciples. We want to learn from you. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing and the courage to respond and to be willing. As we do this, as we respond to the gospel, uh, we give you praise and glory because you alone are God. You alone are worthy. And only you, only you are to be praised in this world. We give you thanks for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.